Well, what great songs. It is well with my soul. Do you feel that this morning? Or are you struggling this morning? Because that can be a place where you are, where you're just struggling. And that's, we want to be here with you and for you uh, and by you in, in any season that you're in. This morning, we're continuing with our series in the book of Acts. So if you have a device or you have a Bible, Acts chapter 11, we're going to be looking at the, the first 18 verses. It feels like we've been in this text for three weeks in a row, uh, but we're going to finish it off. But it's really, for me, it's really important to be finishing off this text in this way this morning. Uh, as we start, I want to talk about synergy. Do you think about, what do you think about when you think of synergy? Synergy is the interaction or the cooperation of two or more organizations substances or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. Now that's a pretty technical, what it means is that when two people get together, they can actually do more and better work than one alone. That just sort of, does that make sense? And what I find when I'm working with teams and in groups, that it's really important that we do work together. So I have a picture here that's coming up. So you can see these are cyclists. These are serious. This is not me. I do not do this kind of cycling. Uh, I'm in awe of them, when they, especially when they're climbing hills. But you notice how they work together. The front, I have done that with my brother-in-law where we've ridden together in groups where it's amazing what that first person has to work super hard and the people behind them can just sort of like, it's okay. So I, I remember doing this with a group and they were way better than I was. And I'd get to the front and I'd just be dying. And you only go to the front for about 30 seconds. But it feels like the 30 seconds of your life that will end your life completely. You will, your legs are burning, your lungs hurt. And then you, you do your 30 seconds at the front, you slide to the back, and then you pedal a bit to try to catch up to the group. But once you get into that slipstream, it's like, man, this ain't so bad. We're cruising until you get back to the front, and then you're dying again. Uh, but you're working together. One of the things that I want you to notice about that is that they're in synergy. They're working together, but they're competing. So what's going to happen at the end? It's like, forget all this. We're not drafting anymore. Now it's like, who's going who's to win? So I say all of that, that synergy is really important. But I say that also to say that conflict is okay. Conflict is actually not sin. Often in, we think about in our life that when conflict takes place, something's wrong. But what I find when I work in groups where there's conflict, it's actually like we can actually come up with a better response than if we were all just getting along and being nice. So we really actually need to say, you know what, there's tension, it's, it's okay. And the text we're going to look at today, there's some tension there's some tension in this text, but I want you to know that God resolves it and it comes together in a beautiful way of synergy as they work together. Scripture is really clear about conflict. It says, be angry, but don't sin. So conflict can bring these better results. Curiosity within conflict is really important. Be prepared to ask questions, to seek out, to be understood. Communication is super important as well. And so in the passage today, we're going to see how God guides in the midst of conflict as people seek to follow him. The issue here today, as we look at this text, is the issue of Jewishness in the faith of the early church. 
So even after Peter has gone through seeing the vision that we've talked about in the past, so if you're catching up with us, he sees this vision. It happens three times. We'll, we'll talk about that a bit more. But he sees it three different times, and then he is encouraged to go and leave the Jewishness behind and go, this is where the Holy Spirit's going to be at work within the non-Jewish, the Gentile community. And so he steps into that. I bring this forward because Peter doesn't always get it right later. So in case you're wondering, you know, it's like, well, you know, Peter gets it right and then it's good. It's like, no, actually, later on, Paul, who's another one of the apostles, writes a letter to the Galatians. And in that letter, he calls out Peter for doing exactly the thing that we're going to talk about today. Where he says in Galatians chapter 2, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Now, there's a way to do conflict You notice, Paul doesn't say, I went to Antioch and I talked to everybody else except Peter. That sounds like a normal thing. Well, we just talked to other people. I have a problem with this person, but I'm not going to talk to them. I'm going to talk to this person, this person. I'm going to talk to everybody else. No, no, no. Paul says, no, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And you'll find out why, because exactly what we're going to look at today. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles... But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And we're going to pick up that in this text as well in Acts. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Again, another name which we'll pick up later in the book of Acts. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew... Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So there's this tension, this, there's this conflict that's going on. And it continued to go, go on throughout the church. So just in case you think, you know, the church gets it right. When we write the Bible, they don't always get it right. Sometimes they actually get it wrong. And for me, that's an encouragement. Because it's like, we don't always get it right, do we? Sometimes we actually mess up. And we need to be, somebody needs to come to us and say, hey, you're messing up, help me, and opposing us to our face. Well, let's read the text that we're going to look at this morning. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. So let's just pause for a minute. So in the Jewish faith, it was Jews wanted to be very separate. They didn't go other places. They would read their scriptures and it would say things like, you need to be separated. You need to be separate from everybody else. So they say, okay, we're going to be separate. That means you don't ever go to somebody else's house who isn't Jewish. You stay away. Uh, You didn't get involved in certain things. And so they were just saying we're very separate. And so this group... That was saying you couldn't go to their house, you couldn't eat with them. All of those things would make you, in their mind, ceremonially unclean, which means you couldn't go to the temple. And if you actually went to another Jewish person's house, you would infect them as well. It's like this infection would just go through the community, so please don't do this. But what happens is God intervenes. So let's see what happens. Let's read verse 4 and on. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. 
I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord, nothing impure, unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, then, saying so then even the Gentiles... God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Father, as we look into this text, we invite your Holy Spirit who is here and present in this place, who is here and present in us, to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our hearts and our minds, to hear the word that you have for us this morning. We know that you want to speak to us through this text. We thank you for what you're teaching us today. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot of details in this particular text about how God uses challenges to move the church forward. We're going to see the work of the Holy Spirit throughout this. So just continue to sort of think about as we look at this that the Holy Spirit is speaking to the people, everyone in the room. So he doesn't just speak to like the leaders. He's speaking to every single person in the room and they're listening to him. Peter does something interesting, and I point out this details because in the times of conflict, Peter takes time to explain what's going on without being defensive. He just simply, it just simply tells us, he, he says, starting from the beginning, he tells us what happened. And he just lays it out, like this is what took place. So Peter, this would be a change for Peter. Peter is the guy in the Gospels who spoke out against and to Jesus, saying, no, you got it wrong, Jesus. And so his life has been transformed. I could imagine old Peter would have said, listen, I got this right, leave me alone, you got it wrong, get over yourselves. That's not what he did. He was non-defensive and he just simply said, here is what took place. Let me explain it to you. And I can hear in that, like, let's discern this together. Let's listen to what's going on here together. So Peter was this emotional person who always spoke his mind, but here we see a different, calmer person. As I look at that, I go, God transforms lives. Doesn't he? Yeah, God transforms lives. That's what God is on about. He loves seeing people's lives change. You and me. Like, I hope I am not the same person I was a year ago. That I hope I'm better, not because of what I'm doing, but because of what God is doing in me. Peter was being transformed. 
Well, let's take a look. You see, the actions of the Holy Spirit here are key. Throughout this passage, we just see it. The Holy Spirit is the one here guiding the church, showing them the way forward as they all are meeting together. In verse uh, 11, verse 4, the Holy Spirit came as a result of concerted prayer. In Acts chapter 10, verse 30, this is now Cornelius speaking. He says, three days ago, I was in my house praying at the, at the hour, which is three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. The Holy Spirit comes as a result of concerted prayer. Often we may wonder, why is not the Holy Spirit of God working? Where is God at work? And he's at work when we bow our knee in prayer and ask him to work. That's where God steps in and says, I want to be that. So here we have Cornelius, who I believe every day would go to pray at three in the afternoon. The other thing you notice in this text, and we shouldn't ignore it, is that Cornelius was acting on what he knew to be right. He gave to the poor. He just said, I don't know what else to do. I read the scriptures. Maybe that was the only text he had because uh, it's not like they had Bibles back then. They might have had a chunk of a scroll or he might have heard it from somebody that the way, what God loves is helping the poor and needy. So he's like, that's what I'm going to do. Just simply being obedient to what God had called him to. So prayer is the key way that God speaks to us and we speak to him. Cornelius was in that place. It doesn't tell us actually what he was asking. Maybe he was just praying. Finally, God said, Cornelius, I'm going to show you the way to be saved. So prayer is key. Jesus told a parable in Luke 18. We don't have time to actually unpack the whole thing. But in Luke 18, verses 1 to 8, there's the parable of the persistent widow. And Jesus tells us the story to encourage us to keep on asking. Don't give up. Sometimes we ask, and well, either God's going to do it or he isn't. And it's like, no, God actually says, be persistent in asking. So I, there's people who, maybe you have someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus yet. I have somebody in my life who I pray for. I actually put a reminder on my phone. I see it every single morning, and I remember to pray for this gentleman. And I've spent time with him. And I'm praying every single day for his salvation. That he would come to know Jesus. He has a lovely wife who follows after Jesus. And he has kids who do, but he doesn't. And we're just praying. I'm just going to pray for him. Because like, God, I don't know what else to do. Other than if I have opportunities, I'm going to step into those. But the first thing God calls us to do, and I would say the most important thing God calls us to do, is to pray. To be people of prayer who give ourselves to that. and Be persistent in our prayers. God will answer our prayers in his timing and in his way. In verse 9, as we look at this text, God shows a new and a fresh way. As you look at this text, a voice spoke from heaven a second time, don't call anything impure that God calls clean. I was just saying to Peter, Peter, yes, that is the way it was. In the Jewish faith, they didn't eat certain animals. Now God was showing Peter a new way forward. And God always acts within his character and within the scriptures. So if there's something that somebody said, well, we should be doing this, and it's really outside of scripture, of what we understand, it's like, no, 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 let's be careful. Let's discern and walk together. 
So we need to be open to hearing God's direction and to see where we may be guided wrongly, guided by our own experiences, by our own culture, and by our own customs, as in this situation. We need to just be discerning about that and open-handed about it. In verse 10, we see that repetition brings clarity. Peter is clear because God shows him this vision three times. He doesn't just do it once, but it's over and over and over again. One of the ways that I practice this in my own life and in the ministry that God has called me to is if God gives me an idea, a thought, a concept, I don't actually, you know, that's, I need to, that I think should go to leadership and maybe should be a direction, I actually don't take it to leadership to start with. I pray about it and say, God, if this is something that's from you, I, first of all, I want you to keep telling me this is the thing. So I don't jump on it and go immediately. Uh, I think there would be times where that would take place, but that would be an intervention of the Holy Spirit very directly, like this got to happen right now. And I would know that, and others would know it too. So I, an idea or a concept comes to me, and I actually just sit with it and hold it in my heart, and I don't say anything to anybody. But I pray. And what I pray is I pray, God, if this is of you, keep reminding me. And God, if this is of you, I want you to tell somebody else. It's one of the beautiful things about the work of the Holy Spirit is he works with all of us together in community. And he calls us to serve him together. And so he wants to speak to all of us together. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a leadership meeting and I've been praying about something for like two weeks and not saying anything. I don't, my wife wouldn't even know what I'm thinking. But we're just, I'm just praying about it. I'm not talking. And somebody in the meeting says exactly the same thing that I've been thinking. And I go, that is the Holy Spirit. That is God saying something. And so we're looking for that, that Holy Spirit work in us and Peter's doing the same thing, this repetition over and over and over. Okay, God, I got it. Now, what's beautiful here is that there is this immediacy that brings about action in verses 11 and 12. Notice what it says is go. We need, in this sense, it was go and act quickly. These men show up at the door and say, and what would they have been? Were they Jewish men? I don't necessarily believe it. I think they were Gentiles. And they were saying, Gentiles coming to Peter, who is a Jew, saying, you need to come to our what? Our house. And Peter's right away going, no, no, Jewishness says, don't go. Oh, but I just had this vision. Listen. And what does he do? He goes. So it's beautiful that there's this immediacy of going and acting when they show up. And there's this confirmation of God's direction. Another thing I want you to notice in the last half of verse 12 is that Peter doesn't go alone. That's really important. He goes with six other people. He says he takes six other, guess what, Jewish people, he takes them with him to this house. Now, why would he do that? Because he's afraid? No, I don't think so. I think it's because it's an affirmation. Let's take them with me, because what would he have said to them? I saw this vision. Now, they could have said, oh, Peter, you know, you must have eaten the wrong pizza last night. You just had a heartburn. Or I don't know what's going on in your life. Say, like, no, no, no. This happened three times. It's really clear. This is what took place. And so they're going with him to this, to Joppa, to a Gentile's house. And so they are there as witnesses and support as Peter breaks the law of going to a non-Jewish home and eating with them. 
Peter begins to speak to this group. So he goes, meets Cornelius. Uh, he, he says, Cornelius, God has sent me here. Uh, and before he begins to, to speak to them, and before he can finish his talk, the Holy Spirit shows up. I love that. Obedience leads to this empowerment and action of the Holy Spirit. Peter could have said, just a minute, I need to go to Jerusalem. I need to ask some people questions. I need to, and it was like, no, I'm going. I'm acting in obedience immediately. I'm moving because God has called me to move. Peter obeyed God, resulting in the power of God being poured out in the Holy Spirit. There was, it just says the Holy Spirit came on the Gentiles in the same way that he came on the Jews. Well, that would remind me that they were speaking in tongues. They were speaking in foreign languages. Maybe they were even speaking Aramaic or the Jewish language, and they were proclaiming praise to God in the language that Peter and his six people would have understood. And these people are going, we have no idea what we're saying, except we know we're worshiping God. So they were speaking in tongues, could have been tongues of fire came over their heads. I don't know. It just says the same way that it happened to us is how Peter describes it. You see, when we obey God, even in the small things, the Spirit of God works. When we obey God in the small things, the Spirit of God works. It's just about being obedient. We may not see it. We may not even understand it, but he's at work. There is a synergy in us obeying and then the Spirit acting. We're in concert with the Spirit. God God isn't the one who just, you know, we're not the puppets. It's like, no, we actually have free will. We can decide. But God calls us to lead and to be part of what he wants to do in our lives. Verse 17 talks about that remembering God's work in the past brings clarity for us in the future. Peter here quotes the words of Jesus to them about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he asks them this rhetorical question. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Boy, do I ask myself that question every once in a while. Who am I to stand in God's way? What if God wants to do something and I'm like, boy, I'm really not comfortable with that. And God's like, good, you shouldn't be comfortable with that. Because you're, you know, maybe I'm the one who's stuck, and I'm the one who needs the prompting of the Spirit to move into different places. There's this asking and saying, I don't want to stand in God's way. Even Gamaliel, who was part of the, the Pharisees, said of when they started to persecute the church, when the Jewish people were persecuting the early church, said, If this is of God, it will what? It'll die, it'll pass, it'll go away. It's just going to disappear. And I, hold, I hope we hold things in that way. We say, God, if this is of you, what are we going to do with this? If it's not of you, then take it away. And we don't want it. But if it's of you, help us to step into it. So how do we work with people of different views? I, th- I think we can do that. I believe we... We work. We actually need each other within the body of Christ to have different works, different views, and different ways that we look at things. So we need to work at not judging each other, but living in discernment. That doesn't mean we don't use discernment. I believe that we do. Now, one of those areas right now, and I'm going to land this plane like right now. In the next four months, 
There is an event that's coming to Saskatoon. It's called Come Together. You may have heard about it. You may not have heard about it, but you're hearing about it today. And I'm not, you know, I'm not jumping up and down like we need to go to those whatever four days at SaskTel Center. That's sort of like the pinnacle or the thing that, that we're aiming at. There's lots of things that are going to happen. We're being called together as a city of Saskatoon, the churches of Saskatoon. We're being called together to be in prayer together. We can be, can we pray with our charismatic brothers and sisters? Yeah, we can. You know, can we pray with our Anglican, you know, fellow believers? I think we can. Um, I, I just, I got a phone call this on Friday, uh, just after we got back in, got a phone call saying, would we be willing to host a prayer event here at the church? So this is, council doesn't even know this, staff doesn't even know this, but I'm telling you, I'm, this is the request, can we, can we be invited to pray together? Can we, can we do this? And I'm, I'm saying, you know what, Lord, as we discern together, let's be those who are open-handed and say, Lord, how do we do this? And how do we invite people? See, the come together isn't about that, you know, coming, inviting people to an event. It can be that, I'm not saying we shouldn't. But the key here is what, that we need to remember is that this is about seeing people come to faith in Jesus in Saskatoon and in Saskatchewan. So let's keep the main thing the main thing. We can talk about, oh, you know, they dance in the aisles. Like, I, I just don't go there. It's like, well, you know what? God blesses that. Does God bless you when you stand still and sing how, you know, you're a, a hymn? Yes, he does that too, right? So let's not, you know, let's not be judgmental. Let's hold this with open hands and say, Lord, how do you want to work? See, if this is of God, he's going to work. And if it's not, it's actually not going to hurt us if it's not of God. Because you know what? The message of the gospel is going to be pro proclaimed. And if people don't respond, that's actually not up to us. You know, God calls us to be what? Witnesses. He doesn't say, you go out and save people. No, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work that God does. He draws people to himself. We just simply say, I'm a witness. And God does the work. So here's the key. Uh, humility in response to God's action is the way forward. When we look at verse 18, humility in response to God's action is what we see here. Once they heard the report of what God had done, they didn't object. But what did they actually do? They began to praise God. This is amazing. Even the Gentiles. Like I can almost hear a bit of derisive comment, right? Even the Gentiles can be saved. It's like, wow. You know, God is bigger than us. Amen. He's bigger than the Jews. You know what? He's bigger than the Mennonites. He draws all of us to himself. Even the Gentiles. Even us. Even us. We can be saved, however broken we are. So what now as we close? I want to just say, uh, coming out of this text, I just see some really helpful things for us. Conflict can help us live synergistically if we're willing to listen and follow God. Don't be afraid of conflict. Conflict isn't sin. How we handle it, that can be sinful. But the midst of conflict, no. Where is God leading us when we are in this place of tension, conflict, what's happening? We want to work with God. We want to serve with each other. I think of the proverb that says, iron sharpens iron. What happens when iron sharpens iron? There's sparks. 
But the result is you get two sharp instruments that can do an amazing work. Secondly, committed, consistent prayer invites God to work. I want to invite us in, in this next week. We're, we're going to be having a conversation Thursday night and Saturday morning. But would you just commit with me to pray every single day for God to lead and guide us into what is it God is calling this church in this location to do in this time? You know, we've met in the second conversation we landed sort of who is it God has put in our circle of influence that God wants us to reach? And we, we talked about that. This next conversation is going to be very much about what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And it may be some things like, what do we need to stop doing, which is doing, and what do we need to start doing? So join us uh, Thursday night and, uh, and Saturday. I'd love to have you there just as we, as we do that. Just pray. Begin to pray about that. And pray about the come-together focus that's going to happen over the next four months. We just invite God to lead us and maybe even to open your hands and say, Lord, uh, you know, this is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me. But I want to say, Lord, if this is of you, I don't want to get in the way. This is of you. I, I want to be with it. Pray about it. Pray for it. Think about, I mean, if you, you know, if you're out and about and you're on anything, you know what's going on at Asbury at the university down in the United States, where God is on the move. They, have st- they started a service, just a normal thing. It was going to end. Never ended. It's still going. Um, there's been people who have been coming, we'll like to, we'd like to come and lead worship, like really you know, big names. And they're saying, no, this is, this is not about that. This is about the Holy Spirit. We're going to just be here and be present when the Holy Spirit's at work. So words like revival are being bandied about. And I'm like, I don't know. I know that if God is at work, there's going to be some fruit from it. And guess what? One of the fruits that comes when God is at work. Repentance. Repentance. Where we come and we say, man, I think I got that wrong. Lord, I think I need to lay this down. And be open to say, Lord, what is the thing you're calling us to? So would you commit to pray? God is on the move. Can I get an amen? Yeah, God is on the move. He wants, he's doing things. Are we opening our eyes to see what he's doing in our world today? And finally, humility that to follow where God brings fruit. When I look at this text, the, at the end, they were like, they're praising God. They're saying yes to God, even though in their Jewishness, they just had to try to get their head around this. Can we say, God, let me have humility to see where your fruit is is being seen. And then I'm going to step into that. So be in our, in our prayers. Can we be humble? Can we repent of judgmental attitudes we might have? Open our hearts to hear from God, to say, God, I'm, I'm here to listen. People are meeting in our city to pray. Can we join them in our personal prayer time? Can we join them in our group prayer? We have a group that meets here on Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. If you want to come just a little before the service, an hour before, come and pray. Bring a, bring a group together in your home, in your neighborhood, and pray for our city. Pray for your friends. Pray for your family. Pray for neighbors. Just, it doesn't take much. Heard of a group that just did it this week. Short notice. Come on over. They knew some, some people who were followers of Jesus. I don't know what churches they attend. And they just said, would you come over and pray together? And they had a group come. And they just prayed. Like, can we just make it simple? We don't need to, you know, host a big event. I mean, we can do that, and we, and we will, likely. Um, but what about just finding ways personally to pray? So I would say simple thing like this. Put a reminder on your phone on a time that you know you can pray. 
And just put a reminder on your phone that's going to say, this is the time you're going to pray every day. Whatever time that is. Six o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, in the evening, lunchtime, whatever. And just pause. And you don't have to pray for an hour. Just pray for one minute. It's like the, what I use in the analogy of running. Right? Better to go run a kilometer than to run none. So in prayer, it's better to pray one minute than to not pray at all. Like to say, well, I can't pray for an hour, so I won't pray. No, pray for the minute. Pray for 30 seconds. And then God might lead you to actually pray more and more and more as he leads and guides you. Let's pray together. Father, as we look into this text and we see what it has said to us, uh, Father, I just pray this morning for each person who's in this room and who's watching online, whether it's today or another day, Father, I pray that these words of truth would come to life. Lord, that we wouldn't just say we heard a word from you and then we're going to leave it. But this is a word from you and we don't want to ignore it. For you are a God who leads us and guides us and shows us the way. And you are the good shepherd and we hear your voice because we're your sheep. Lord, as those who hear your sheep, we also obey. And we walk with you because we know you're a good shepherd. So thank you for the things that you're teaching us, how you're leading us. For we pray this in your name and for your glory, Jesus. Amen.